Thanks for listening to the Semitic Jew Podcast. In last week's episode titled Adam, we analyzed Genesis 2 verses 15 to 20. If you've listened to any episode, I would love to hear your comments and discussion anytime. So feel free to direct message me on any social media, in particular Instagram or X. That said, without any further delay, let's get started. Genesis chapter 2 verses 21 to 25. So If you've listened to any episode of mine, um, generally I like to read each verse, and then after reading each verse, um, I go about explaining what I've read. Okay, so I'm I'm going to be exegeting Genesis chapter two verses twenty one to twenty five, and in particular, I'm going to start at twenty one. Okay, so I'm going to read the verse. So if you have your Bible open, please follow along with me. I'm reading the King James version. Okay, and so we're gonna. we're going to find out what is going on here in Genesis chapter 2, verses verse 21 to 25. And I'm starting at verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the place instead thereof. There's three things which need to be examined when we read this verse. First of all, who is the Lord God? What is this deep sleep that was put upon Adam? And what is this rib or why a rib? So first, I want to dissect those questions and then expound on them a little bit more to give us some understanding about what's happening here in this verse. So generally speaking, if you followed along with me this entire time, chapter two demonstrates or demonstrated earlier that the name used for God in Genesis 1 was Elohim, or Elohim. Here, in Genesis chapter 2, the personal name of God is used, Elohim Yahuwah, or Elohim Yahweh, translated in English as Lord God. This Elohim Yahuwah seems to be the personal manifestation of the Father. So, we can deduce that this Elohim Yahuwah must be Jesus Christ of the New Testament. A simple verse from the New Testament can be used to prove this. Colossians 1 verse 16 to 17. It reads, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. There are other verses which prove Jesus Christ is the creator of man and everything else that exists. But we use only this for now. Secondly, there was this deep sleep he placed upon man. No further context is given to describe what this was, so any deductions would be mere speculation. I'll offer a few suggestions, but I want to be careful here because these are my opinions alone and they're not scriptural. So in other words, they mean absolutely nothing. And I only care about what the text says. Now, this sleep could have been some type of powerful rest where the man was not conscious of what the Lord God was going to do with his new body. Now, that is not necessarily getting away from the text. And it seems rational that it seems rational that we can conclude that or deduce that from the text without putting anything into the text, that this was just some type of powerful sleep that God physically placed upon Adam in the same way that 
um, that if I'm up for 24, 24 hours, it's going to be a, a hard, it's going to be a challenging task for me to continue to stay up and not fall asleep. We all are familiar with the, with the heavy eye syndrome. Once your eyes get so heavy to the point where you can't fight sleep off, then you just fall asleep. It's impossible to stay awake. So this could have been, um, this seems to be the most rational explanation for what this was, just some powerful sleep. Now, I've also heard that this sleep was a picture of death. So allegorizing the text, putting some eisegesis in there, they're saying that this is symbolic of death and that the moment Adam died, died was the time that he was born again and that the woman brought to him was a picture of the Holy Spirit brought from God. Again, that's merely speculation in a form of eisegesis. But you, so I, the only reason why I mentioned that was you're going to hear some very fanciful explanations of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 in a way to incorporate evolution, in a way to incorporate a symbolic tree of knowledge of good and evil, in a way to symbolically represent various things without necessarily understanding the intention of the text, that these are literal people that we're talking about and that they're physically walking with the Elohim Lord God in this moment here, okay? Or um, the Lord God is physically interacting with Adam here in this text, okay? So that part that I added at the end, eisegesis, disregard it. The, uh, the bottom line is personally, I do not believe that, um, that this was more than some some physical rest, okay, that the Most High put upon Adam. Um, I would just like to add too. I do not believe that that this rest was a consequence of physical tiredness. Um, I do not necessarily. There's no way we can indicate from the text that Adam was exhausted, okay, um, because in fact the text basically tells us that. Adam was put to sleep by God, okay? And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And again, I'm adding some more flavor to the text because there's so many theories from Christianity, Judaism, Islam that like to add these things into the text, and it's just not there. This was not a physical, this was, Adam was not fatigued. There was no death at this time in creation. It's interesting to note um, also, that when we discuss the consequences of sin in chapter 3, that we see the word for sweat first appearing. And it means that there was no sweat originally. There was no sweating originally. Because the, the, the cause of sweat or the fact that we sweat, the fact that we sweat is a consequence of death that passed upon all men. Okay, we'll get to that in Genesis chapter 3. Third, why a rib? It seems the Most High wanted to demonstrate to everyone that the woman was physically taken out of the man. We cannot know necessarily what that what that part was. Um, we can make some deductions. Nevertheless, I feel like the most important thing about this part here is this portion here is that it's going to explain that he took one of his ribs and then closed the flesh thereof, okay? So he's taking a part of Adam, and he's going to independently take this portion and, and make a woman, okay? So 
Um, and I just want to add a little bit more. So it also seems that not only that the Most High wanted to demonstrate that he, to everyone, that he is, he is taking this part from Adam, but also that he's taking that part and making a woman because she was a part of him. Even the very name, Wa-Man, okay? And I just want to add something, too. Um, in the Hebrew, um, the word for man is Ish, and then the word for woman is Isha. And it's interesting because the word ish means a hard one. Adam was the hard one. And then the, uh, the woman, Isha, was the soft one. Um, when, you get, when you get the opportunity, definitely look into those terms. It's very, very interesting. Um, so she was, she was not independently formed from the ground like Adam. Or we can say Adam was a direct creation by God. God uh, formed his body from the dust of the ground and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and then um, Adam became a living soul. She, he, didn't, he did not do that with the woman. He took the woman's part from the man in order to create her. Now, in societies across the world, we hear of women empowerment movements, feminism policies in Washington and other parts of the world, independent woman songs uh, to, tell, to, help, to help us drive home this idea that women are powerful and women don't need a man in order to uh, live and thrive and go about their business. Well, it wasn't the intention of the Most High God uh, for things to be that way. In other words, what you're actually seeing is chaos and disorder. The original intent of a woman was to be with a man. That was her, um, that was why the woman was created. But here, originally, the woman was inseparable from Adam until the Most High separated them. In fact, as the scriptures are clear, it says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. In a way, we can say that the Lord God separated them bodily to bring them together in a marriage ceremony. The New Testament further explains this in 1 Corinthians eleven nine. It says, neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. So we must... So, so much can further be said here, obviously. Nevertheless, we get back to the text. Verse 22, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Again, this rib, um, we're putting it in layman's terms for us to understand it. Um, but this rib or this part the Most High took from Adam was used to form the body of the woman. This portion of Adam taken from him was made into a woman. So this portion that the God, uh, that the Lord God took from Adam, that part was made into a woman. In Hebrew, the term for that part is selah, which means some sort of beam. Now, what that beam was, we could say it was a it was a rib. In fact, um, and there's no reason to deduce that it wasn't a rib, um, especially if we just believe the word of God at face value, it was a rib. It was a part of Adam. There's no need to speculate. Scientifically, a woman has all of the physical functions as men do, but not the same body. Women have the ability to have children. Men do not have the ability to have children. Uh, one, one word on this, and I'm just going to add one word. Uh, trans women are men who are born 
who, excuse me, who, who are men who are born men, but transitioned to a trans woman persona. Likewise, a trans man or woman who was born a woman, but transitioned to a trans man persona, neither of those have exactly deviated from the standard by which God originally ordained because they went from one sex to the other. Ironically, both are choosing to be the opposite sex, which further demonstrates that there's only two sexes in the earth. You are either born male or you're born female. And so just to add, transgenderism is complete confusion. And it's a doctrine of demon, demons. It's something that, that is uh, contrary to the word of God. And again, just like feminism, it is complete chaos because you are either born an Adam or you're born an Eve. And we haven't gotten to her name, but right now Adam is going to name her in this section here. Policymakers have, have no interest in the people. Um, and they have no interest um, in people following the Bible. Even if you're not an Israelite, they don't want people living on the standard of, standards of the scriptures. And it's a global effort. Tel Aviv, the capital of Israel, the land of European Jewish immigrants. The land is known as the ideal destination of the LGBTQ community. Now, I wonder, based upon what the scriptures tell us about the Israelites, they do not love this type of behavior. In fact, it's repulsive. Something else to consider. The text used by Jewish people predominantly is the Talmud. In the Talmud, it, it suggests that Adam engaged in zoophilia. And then he later deduced that, okay, these animals, they're not the same as I am. And then the most high created woman. Now this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Now, they'll tell you that that was an allegorical piece of scripture or a piece of um, commentary in the Talmud, regardless of the fact no Israelite would write something like that and be okay with it. <laughs> so listen to me. Zoophilia is not practiced by any race on, on earth except the heathen. Israelites do not practice this ancient, wicked practice. And the text does not suggest before the woman was brought to Adam, Adam was experimenting with the animals. It's absolute nonsense. So may the Lord God forgive us and cause our brothers and sisters caught up in the sin of feminism, transgenderism, or zoophilia, and to free them in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of Adam or out of man. Now, Genesis is full of firsts, and this scene describes the first marriage ceremony. The way the verse is worded tells us that Adam must have broken out in a song. The wording is very similar to other Hebrew types of songs written in scripture. So Adam was full of joy when the Lord God brought the woman to him. He even names the woman. A reason can be given for Adam giving a name for the woman. It is because Adam was originally given dominion over the earth. And this included everything in the earth. Genesis 1.28 tells us that dominion was given 
to both of them to rule together with Adam as the head over creation. Verse 24, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. This verse demonstrates the reason for marriage. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This is the standard for all marriages. All men and all women before being married must emotionally detach themselves from his or her parents. It's non-negotiable. If you do not divorce yourselves from your parents emotionally, then this has the power to create conflict in your marriage relationships, in the rearing of children in these marriage relationships, and other issues that could arise during your marriage relationship. If you're a woman and you're listening in and you need a precept to drive home this verse here, Psalms 45 verse 10, hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear for unto thine own people and thy father's house. I'm going to read that again. Psalms 45 verse 10, hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. The word of God is logically consistent in all areas of life. So just as the man needs to leave and cleave, the woman needs to also leave and cleave. If not, then you are not ready for marriage and you should not waste each other's times, nor desire to bring evil in each other's lives because you have a desire to marry. It's all right to have a desire to marry, but are you ready to emotionally leave your parents and cleave to one another? in righteousness. So my advice, be patient. When you are ready, the most high will make a way. He always does. Verse 25, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. After this marriage ceremony, the text says they were naked and were not ashamed. They were not ashamed because there was no sin. The Hebrew word for shame is bus, which can mean confusion, disappointment, or even grief. So logically, we can deduce, one, there was no confusion between them. There was no confusion in the garden. There was no confusion of the sexes. They didn't, uh, one didn't say, oh, I'm actually a female, and oh, I'm actually a male, or, um, or oh, um, I'm supposed to rule, or you're supposed to rule. There was no confusion of that. Like, who's going to raise this, and, or who's going to rear the children, or who's going to do the gardening? There was absolutely no confusion of the sexes. So what we are experiencing today has deviated from this standard. There was no shame. There was no confusion. There was no disappointment in this marriage. So there must have only been righteousness and purity between them. It's only logical to deduce that. So I just, can you imagine what that must have been like? Adam or Eve or the woman, I should say, before her name became Eve, she was not trying to rule over Adam. The man wasn't engaging in domestic violence or using ab abusive words to correct his wife. There was none of that. Only righteousness between them. Now, I wonder, how would you compare your own garden? to the Garden of Eden.
or your own household to the Garden of Eden? How close is your home life to the home life of Adam? Are you and your wife walking in righteousness and keeping the commandments together? Or are you two keeping the commandments apart from each other and saying, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm still worshiping God, but I'm going to do my own thing. That's confusion. If you're not both dwelling in righteousness together like they were, they were together. There was no shame between them at all. You can keep the commandments of God and still have shame between you two as a spouse. It's confusion. But it says that they were dwelling together in righteousness, meaning they were keeping the laws of God together. And if you're not doing that, this is confusion. And it should not be so in the life of an Israelite or someone who professes to know the God of the Bible. That said, thanks for listening. So just to summarize this episode, we may... Thanks for listening. So just to summarize this episode, we say... We see how the Lord God's crowning jewel of creation was the woman. On day six, the Lord God formed all the land animals, and then Adam, and then Eve, in that order. After pulling the woman from Adam, he brought them together for the first time in a beautiful ceremony in which Adam burst out in a song when he married his bride. If you have eyes to see, this too will happen for us, the children of Israel, when Jesus Christ returns a second time. As always, all praises, all honor, and all glory to the Most High. Shalom. Thank you.